Well, welcome to another segment of our mental health moment. My name is Galic. I'm the health and well-being consultant here at Bell and Health. And I am so pleased to welcome our therapist today, Pam Baranchak. Hi, Pam. Hi. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, it's been really fun having some um a variety of, of different therapists from our Bell and Psychiatric Center join us on these segments. So appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, so for those of you just joining us, welcome. Thanks for hopping on today. Thanks for taking some time for your mental health because that is oh so important. So today's topic, really interesting one, and uh, I'm really excited to learn more about this because uh, when Pam and I were first talking and chatting about what we could talk about today, uh, she said, what about the upside of stress? And, <laughs> and I said, oh, the upside of stress, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> something that a lot of us often think of like upside is a good thing. Stress can be good. How can that be? Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I think uh, once or twice in, in our past segments, we have touched just briefly on this TED Talk that's out there. There's a TED Talk by Kelly McGlonigal. Uh, she is also a therapist. Well, she's a health psychologist. And she uh, said she spent so many years telling people how bad stress was for them. And then she came across this really interesting study. And so, Pam, I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks on that. Um, tell us a little bit more about the premise um, of that TED Talk. Yeah. Um, so not unlike <laughs> Kelly, I have spent a lot of my time talking to people about kind of the negative impacts of stress too. And I think that's the reason that that TED Talk really caught my attention so much. I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is kind of mind blowing. So some of you maybe have seen this. This isn't a new TED Talk that's been put out. This has been around for a while. And in this talk, she asks the audience two questions and, and she re references a study that was done where they asked two questions. And the questions were, number one, have you experienced a high level of stress in your life in the last year? And number two, do you believe that stress is bad for you? And then what they did is they followed this group of people, and it was a large group. I think it was like 30,000 people that they asked these questions to. And they followed up eight years later looking at public death records to see who had died. And they found, you know, no surprise that people that had said that they had a high level of stress were the most likely to die. However, that was only true if they also answered yes to the second question, that they believed that stress was bad for them. The people that had a high level of stress but didn't believe that stress was bad for them were actually in the lowest risk category for death. And so she said she took this information and, and she is, is pretty funny in the way she presents it. She said, you know, if this is right, that um, the belief that stress was bad for us killed, I think it was like the 15th leading cause of death in this this eight year span or something. So it was it was just really interesting and shocking to me. So I ended up doing a little bit more research on on some of the work that she's done. And, and she's right. There's a lot of really positive benefits to having stress in our life, which was that, super fascinating. Yeah, that's so fascinating because we often think about 
um, you know, one of the one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine that we focus on is stress management, right? So we're constantly in this space of helping people manage their stress. So what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, from your practical experience and from the people that that you see as as your patients in terms of helping them manage stress, like what what are your thoughts on that study? Yeah. Well, so um so again, I, I, the study itself, I think, is pretty interesting and fascinating. But what it did is it really triggered, a, I guess, a curiosity within me about, well, where did this idea that stress is bad for us even really come from then? If there's all of this evidence that it's good for us, where or that it can be good for us, where did this idea that it's bad for us come from? And it really, if we whittle it down initiated with Dr. Hans Selyev. So he was a doctor that did a lot of research on on stress and the effects of stress and had a lot of kind of the initial research that was published on his findings. And the the thing about this is, and if there's any animal lovers on this call, you're going to just be horrified by the research that he was doing. It was a long time ago. Um, but what he would do is he would take these little adorable mice and he would give them shocks. He would just give them these electric shocks <laughs> every once in a while, and then it'd be more and more. And then when that wasn't horrifying enough, he'd take them and toss them into a bucket of water <laughs> until they just about drowned. And then when that wasn't horrifying enough, he'd put them in a cage with like these big bully mice that were really hungry and they would attack this little mouse. And so then he would he would research, well, what does this stress do to this little mouse? Well, his heart was pounding and his breathing was shallow and he was scared and he'd have nightmares. And he, well, I don't know if he, he didn't sleep well. Um, but so the research, the headlines in the paper came out that stress is bad for your health, right? Because this these poor little mice were just being tortured and horrified. Um, so that's really where a lot of these ideas come from. The thing about that, though, is that the most common stressors in our American society today are not necessarily that we're being brutally tortured and, and almost murdered on a daily basis, most of us at least. Um, most of our stress is having too many responsibilities or financial struggles or problems at work or problems with health. Maybe somebody that we know has problems with their health or we've got some family issues. Um, and all of those issues are, are stressful and that stress is really valid and real. However, it isn't quite the same level of intensity as near-death experiences on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really interesting to look back as to where where this idea was first planted and and why we still you know start to to really think that that is all that's the whole story today. So we talk about then um, okay, so this idea that stress can actually be beneficial to us. Um, what what does that what does that look like? How do how can we reframe that? Um, what can people start to think about as far as Okay, I'm in this stressful situation right now, but this can be this can be a good thing. So help help walk us through that. Yeah. Um, when you say, you know, how can we change what we think about? I, I think that that is really a, a key starting point. I don't know. Some of you may be familiar with Dr. Brene Brown. 
She's a researcher that does a lot of work with shame and um, recovering from the effects of shame. And she does a really nice job of describing something called a culture of scarcity. She says that we're stuck in this culture of scarcity. And basically what, what that means is that we kind of get trapped into these ideas of I'm I'm not enough, right? Like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough employee. And it's just like this, this constant cycle of I'm not enough. And a lot of the time that leads to a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. Um, she, she tells a story of, uh, and, and this is in, if you, if you're a TED talk person, she has a really nice TED talk called the, the price of invulnerability which isn't her most famous TED Talk, but it's a good one. So in this TED Talk, she tells the story of how she's got to go out of town on a work trip. And it's a relatable story. So she's got to go out of town on a work trip. Her daughter has this project that's due for school. It's not quite done. So she's feeling super guilty that she's even leaving. And then the next day, she's on the road and she's got to stop at the grocery store to get some money out of the bank because all the banks are in grocery stores, right? And then she goes to the bank and as she's going in, there's like this Code Adam sticker on the door, which is a really important program that, you know, if if there's a child that gets kidnapped, they're going to lock down the store and whatever. So now she's thinking, okay, my kids are going to get kidnapped while I'm gone. And then she gets back on the road and she passes one of those signs that said, you know, this many people have died on this stretch of highway. And then she gets to the airport and um, there's a an announcement that says, you know, we, we've we just moved to a code orange. And so now she's like, well, well, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, what's going on with the airport? And then there's another message that says, don't leave your bags unattended. And here's an unattended bag on the floor. And she's like, and I know, I can see this mom chasing her kid. I know it's a diaper bag. But I saw this on Law and Order, and I know I'm going to get on that plane, and there's going to be this bomb that explodes. So then she <laughs> finally makes it to the plane, and she gets a call from her son's school saying, oh, your your son has a fever. Can you come get him? And she's like, oh. So she calls her husband. The husband's able to take care of it. So at this point, the guy next to her looks at her, and he's like, hey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, no, really, are you Okay. And she says, you know, I'm I'm fine, she said, but I'm kind of at that point where I'm trying to figure out what I can do that's crazy, you know, that that can get me off the plane, but isn't crazy enough to get me put on the no-fly list. <laughs> She's like, I don't know if this feeling in my gut is really telling me to leave or what's going on. So he starts laughing and he says, hey, do you, do you want a drink? <laughs> and she's like, no, I don't drink. And he's like, well, what about a Xanax? <laughs> she's like, no, I don't. I don't do that either. And she's like, which is a shame. But she said, you know, the, it, she, it makes her think about her work and how when we feel that anxiety and that stress and that shame, it it really prompts us to try to make it go away because we have mm. this idea, right, that stress is bad for us. If I'm feeling stressed, if I'm feeling overwhelmed that's a bad thing. I need to get it to go away because it's bad for me. And so she said, what we've learned to do as a society is we learn to numb it. We learn to numb it with alcohol or drugs. We learn to numb it with medications. We learn to numb it with food, um, money. We buy things that we maybe don't need. She said, we're the most addicted, medicated, obese, and in-depth human cohort in history. And so an alternative to that, because it's it's not good when we numb 
and she does a good job of explaining this, that we can't selectively numb emotion. So if I'm numbing the, the stress and the anxiety, I'm also numbing any potential for like joy or love or belonging. And so that's part of the danger of falling into that trap of believing that stress is a bad thing. We really lose our opportunity to enjoy life. Um, and so I think that, you know, going back to Dr. McGonigal's research with that upside of stress, she reminds us that when we're stressed, our bodies, it, it kind of gets us prepared to like fight or flee with that production of cortisol and adrenaline. In addition to cortisol and adrenaline, though, when we're stressed, our bodies also produce oxytocin. And that becomes really important. Um, we know, we know just from experience that when we're stressed out or when we're anxious, our, our heart's going to start pounding, our breathing's going to get really shallow, um, our, our blood vessels can kind of constrict and get smaller, which is one of the reasons it's correlated with like cardiovascular disease. But, and, and there was a, a really cool study that was done at Harvard where they trained a group of people to view stress as like a, a positive thing. In those participants, when they got stressed, their heart started pounding and their breathing got shallow, but their, their blood vessels didn't constrict. They stayed wide open. Similarly to if we would be feeling courage, right? So um, that feeling that athletes of a football team gets together in the locker room before a game and oh, 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 we're going to go out there and we're going to kill it right they get all amped up hearts pounding breathing shallow all ready to go out and give their best performance so if we can remind ourselves that when our heart is pounding and our breathing is shallow that our body's getting ready for us to go out and and do our best that this is we we feel this way because we care about this and it's important to us and we're going to go and do our best a lot of times that can can really make a difference in that oxytocin production is impressive because our heart has receptor sites for oxytocin it can actually heal our heart. It can actually heal any damage that's been done by stress. Um, so in that way, stress is good for us, right? Like it makes our heart stronger than it was before, which is interesting. That is interesting because we often think of a couple of things that that I just wanted to expand on. We often think of oxytocin as, you know, that's that's that feel good hormone. That's the that's the hormone when people are falling in love, right? That's the hormone that that women have gushing when they have a baby. And so this is a very helpful hormone. And so to hear that it's um, related to stress, that's really fascinating. The other thing I think about is, and we've talked about this on this program before. You know, if we just stay in the lane of I can only feel happy, I only want to feel happy if I have any other emotion, there's something wrong with me, we are missing the full human experience. And I think if we can start to think of stress in that same way, that can be so beneficial. Because I think about, you know, when you, we think of ourselves from a health and well-being perspective, how do we get more fit? How do we, you know, how do we build muscle? How do we increase our lung capacity? We do it by pushing ourselves outside of the comfort zone. 
We do it by going outside of what feels okay and goes to a little bit of uncomfortableness, but that's what makes us grow. And so sometimes I think what people don't realize is that you're in a situation and, and it may not, you know, feel like the best thing you've ever experienced, but you're growing. Yeah. You're growing in a lot of different ways in those situations. There's a really cute story, I think, uh, when I think of that same concept, Linda, and it's about this little child that finds a caterpillar on the ground. And because the caterpillar is fuzzy and it moves, it picks it up and it brings it home and shows mom and dad. And they say, oh, if you put it in a jar with a stick, it'll form a cocoon and it'll turn into a butterfly. And it it does. Somehow it does. And one day they notice that the butterfly is breaking the cocoon open. And so they reach their little child hands in the jar and they rip open the cocoon and out comes the butterfly. But the tragedy in the story is that the butterfly can't fly. And the reason is because when it's breaking open the cocoon, it's building strength and dispersing fluid and it's wings that it needs for flying later in life. And that's just it, right? That watching someone that we care about struggling is stressful, being that person, going through that struggle, that's stressful. But sometimes that's how we build that strength for what's coming later in life. Yeah, I don't know if it was Brene Brown or if it was someone else, but, uh, you know, there's a quote out there that says, you know, we we come back stronger in, in the broken places. Mm. You know, we we do. When, when we're broken, we we heal and we become stronger in those areas. So another way to kind of think about it. Uh, you had shared with me, Pam, a really great uh, presentation on this. And uh, one of the slides, I just I just wanted to read off of this because I think this really puts it into perspective as well. And if you have questions for, for Pam, please uh, chat those in because we would love some questions. We'd love to hear uh, what you'd like to hear more on. Uh, please feel free. So this, um, this particular slide said, stress is harmful except when. So stress is harmful except when it is not. And uh, so here's a couple examples of that. Stress is harmful because it increases the risk of health problems, except when people regularly contribute to their communities. Stress is harmful, it can increase risk of dying, except when people have a sense of purpose. Stress is harmful because it increases risk of depression, except when people identify a benefit in their struggles. Stress is harmful when it's it can be paralyzing, except when people see themselves as capable. And on and on. So we start to think about, oh, in this context, it's harmful. But what's the outcome of that? What's the other side of that that really does increase resiliency and growth in, in a lot of different areas? There was another study that was done by the University of Buffalo, kind of like the one that Kelly McGonigal addresses, where um, people were asked two questions again. They were asked, have you experienced or what sort of stress, how much stress have you experienced in the last year? And then how much time have you spent caring for others? Mm -hmm. And again, the people that had more stress had a higher risk of death. Um, I think that for every major life event, they experienced like a 30 percent increase in risk of of health issues. But that was only true if they didn't spend time caring for other people. Those people that did spend time caring for others, whether it was mm -hmm. other family members, whether it was like through a job or at work, um, they had no increased risk of death. 
that caring really creates resilience to stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We think about someone in your life that is just that caregiver. It's that person that is always the first one to volunteer to help someone. Uh, They're always doing things for others. And those are some of the easiest to be around people that I know they do. They have a, they have a comfort. They have just this, this kind of vivaciousness about them that they're, they're thriving by helping other people. It's something that lights them up. It's something that gives them purpose. We had talked about too, um, Pam, there was that study on the Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think that, you know, they were just, there's another book. <laughs> There's another book. It's called What Doesn't Kill Us, and it's by Dr. Stephen. Oh, I can't think of his last name right now. Stephen something. But he talks about how he compares trauma to like a like a glass vase. That if we have this glass vase that we've scrimped and saved and wanted forever, and we finally get it. And we have it put up on our mantle and we look at it every day and it makes us super happy. And then one day we come home and it's shattered. That there's kind of three tracks that somebody would take to to manage that. So one thing that they might do is just sweep up the pieces, throw them out and say, well, it was nice while it lasted. Another is they might try to desperately like glue it together and re redo what once was, but that's not going to be possible because it's weaker in some areas. Some of the pieces are missing. It was really shattered. The third way is to take the pieces and to create a mosaic, right? Mm -hmm. So not what we anticipated, not what we expected, but something that's beautiful in its own right. And he talks about that, about how people that are able to just thrive in stressful situations after traumatic events, they seem to have that mindset of, I'm going to, I'm going to take my reality and I'm going to recreate it. And one of the most helpful ways to do that is when we use that as an opportunity to to reach out and help others when we choose to you know instead of saying oh i've i've got so much work I've, it's that mindset of what can i do to help out the team what can i do to you know move forward humanity as it is and that connection to other people and one of the studies it talks about is that study of Holocaust survivors about how I think it was 82% of the Holocaust survivors said that they were people who on a regular basis would go out of their way to try to help other people would share their food, even if they were starving. Um, in Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about that. He talks, mm-hmm. of, he's a, a doctor that lived through the Holocaust himself. And he talks about the fact that you could see the people that were surviving and that oftentimes they were the people that were reaching out and trying to help other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think of some of our big historical events, you know, in, in our lifetime, just the, the way people bonded and came together and, and helped each other. And that is our human instinct to actually do that. But I love that idea of the mosaic, like, again, kind of taking those broken pieces, making something out of it. You know, one of the things that I seem to be learning as I get a little bit older (laughs) is just the idea that life doesn't go according to plan. You know, I used to like to have everything planned out and it was going to be this, this and this. And I have learned as life goes on, um, it is it doesn't go that way. 
And I have really done myself a big favor by just being open to what that newness can look like and not thinking that it has to be this, it has to be this, it has to be this, but just being open. And sometimes when you're open, uh, stuff turns out cooler than you ever would have imagined too. So I I think that's another thing that we can kind of learn is that, um, you know, life is going to keep moving and life is going to keep happening. And we can really help ourselves by just not trying to to control it all the time. Yeah, because I think that that is sometimes one of the biggest biggest drivers of stress is we have these expectations of how things should be or how how they need to be. And. I think it's important to really remember there's more than one right way to do anything, mm-hmm. right? And that sometimes those expectations can really, sometimes things are as bad as we make them for ourselves. And um, if if we can let go of those expectations and just accept what is and work with what is. Absolutely. Can... Absolutely. So if anyone has any questions um, for Pam, please put those in the chat. Uh, but Pam, you talked about expectations, and that makes me think, you know, it's getting darker outside, it's getting cooler outside. I'm thinking holidays, I'm thinking holidays, and I know a lot of people experience stress surrounding the holidays, and I think you nailed it. It's that expectation of, I have to get these perfect gifts, and I have to make this perfect meal, and I have to have everyone around the Christmas tree sitting just the way I want them to sit. <laughs> And so what can we what can we do to to help ourselves with that season as as it's as it's coming up here? Yeah. I know for me, um one of the things that I try to remind myself of is those those words have to. They're kind of a, a red flag mm. for me. So when I catch myself mm-hmm. saying I have to do something, I try to challenge that as soon as I can. And I'll I'll switch them. I'll switch the words have to to get to. I I get to look for these perfect gifts. I get to make this meal. I get to decorate it. And it just reminds me, number one, of the fact that I have a choice, right? That none of these things really are have to. These are things I'm choosing to do. But also, it allows me to tap into kind of that sense of gratitude that the reason I'm buying these presents is because I have these people in my life that I want to buy gifts for. You know, the reason that I'm making this meal is because I I have people in my life that I want to spend time with. And I have the luxury of being able to 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 get this food and, and to prepare it for them. And just it just reminds me of at just a really basic level of all of the all of the things that there are really to be grateful for during this time too. And it helps me to focus on that sense of connection with people. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me of, um, we actually had, I I had heard a patient testimonial where um, this person went through a a really uh, tough illness in the hospital and what really got her through uh, ended up being the presence of of her husband and loved ones. And uh, that was her comment is that I get to, I'm here, I'm alive. There's all these things I get to do. And I thought, what a beautiful experience, you know, what a beautiful testament, you know, considering the experience that she had been through. So really, really good stuff. Well, I don't see any questions in the chat, Pam, but um, any parting thoughts for us? Anything else that you wanted to share with us today as as we talk about the the idea of of, uh, stress being helpful for us? Um, 
You know, I guess if if there was a parting thought, I think I would just remind everyone to remember that our thoughts are really powerful. What we tell ourselves about things, it really makes a difference. The way that we think about stress makes a difference. Um, the way that we think about the way that we think about aging makes a difference when you talk about at least I'm alive. Um, there was, as I was kind of getting ready for this, I ran across another study and it talked about the fact that having a positive attitude about aging can increase our lifespan by about seven years, while things like healthy diet and healthy lifestyle usually increase our lifespan about four years. Ah. So that thought process is just hugely important. So if we can shift our thinking about mm -hmm. stress and remind ourselves that there are good things, and that doesn't mean that any one of us are going to ask for more stress in our life. You know, we're we're not we're not going to do that. But um, definitely, when we notice that we're under a lot of stress, reminding ourselves that this is actually a good thing. That this is our body preparing ourselves to give our best performance. This is something that we care about, and the more that we connect with others during this time the better it will be for us. That's great, Pam. And again, why we care about mental health moments, exactly why we have this, this series, because we know that strong mental health is going to lead to other good areas um, of health in our lives. So, well, I really appreciate all the time that you put into the segment today, Pam. I just love all the research and everything you shared with us. Just really great stuff. Uh, we'll be sure to send out the link to that TED Talk by Kelly McGlanagall um, when I send out this recording. So really appreciate you being with us here today, Pam. And Pam will be back with us next month as well. So we want to encourage you all to uh, tune back in to, to hear more from Pam. So thanks so much, Pam. Thank you. Oh, I like that quote. Thoughts become things. Ah, thoughts become things. Choose the good ones. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, thanks so much to you, our audience, for joining us today and taking some time out for your mental health. So we hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.